This is episode 14 of The New Normal. We had a special guest joining us today, a good friend of Quentin, Mr. Trent Cannon, or more preferably, the Trent Cannon, but not the one who plays for the New York Jets. We had a really good conversation on the topic of modern race relations and the current events surrounding George Floyd. If you're living under a rock, then uh, you might want to get yourself out of it and get with the current events of what's happening there. We go over an article posted by the USA Today and The Blaze as it relates to uh, the current situation with George Floyd, but then also the second wave of COVID that may or may not be approaching. Enjoy this episode of The New Normal. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits, you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Quentin. Each week, we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. Welcome back to the show. This is Sal and my good friend, Quentin. Say hi to everybody, Quentin. Hey, guys. We've got a very strong topic to talk about. We're coming off the back of our feminism conversation, and we're going to just dive right into it and, and set the garbage can on fire. We're going to be talking about modern <laughs> race relations, current events right now around George Floyd and whether or not this is a, a flashpoint that we've been talking about. Over the last few weeks uh, of the show, we have been discussing a flashpoint. What is that flashpoint going to look like? And is it going to be related to COVID-19, the lockdowns, people uh, being forcibly uh, removed from their homes? What is going to be the flashpoint? And it seems as though the media has taken... Uh, a couple of most recent race relations uh, stories, whether we're talking about the young lady in the park who was asked to put her dog on a leash and starts belittling uh, the individual who was uh, recording, calling them racial slurs. We have a drive-through window video of a lady calling someone the N-word for the line taking far too long for her to get her effing burger. And now, of course, we have George Floyd, a very tragic and senseless uh, murder, if you will, uh, depending on your point of view. Um, I'm going to just come out and say it. So I want to welcome to the show the Trenton Cannon. He's going to be our guest today, providing some perspectives uh, and some interesting questions uh, for our audience as it relates to race relations and, uh, you know, it's just how, how everything's playing out in the media and what the media is really telling you to feel right now about this particular situation. Um, so I'm going to come at this from the angle that, you know, I, th I think most of us are going to come at this from the angle that we, we strongly uh, are opposed to what the, the police officers did in this particular situation. Um, but I'm going to set the, the groundwork for 
the narrative uh, by reading an article that was published this morning by USA Today. The title is Minneapolis Mayor Wants Officers Charged. All four cops in George Floyd's death have been ID'd. And there's a GoFundMe page that raises $123,000. This is what we know. The Minneapolis... The mayor of Minneapolis is calling for charges against the white officer who knelt on the neck of 46-year-old George Floyd, a black man who died Monday after being restrained. Quote, why is the man who killed George Floyd not in jail? End quote, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey in a press conference on Wednesday. If you had done it or I had done it, we would have been behind bars right now. The mayor did not specify what the charge should be, but said that his determination was based on the video of the incident. The horrifying video spread quickly on social media Tuesday, showing the officer driving his knee into Floyd's neck as he repeatedly says he can't breathe. Quote, we are not talking about a split second decision that was made incorrectly, Frey said. There's somewhere around the 30, 300 seconds in the five minutes long video, everyone of which the officer could not have turned back and removed his knee from George Floyd's neck. So I'm gonna skip ahead. Uh, there are protests in Minneapolis. There are now riots. A target was looted and uh, an auto zone was set ablaze around 10 o'clock last night. Firefighters were on the scene to put that out. George Floyd's sister says that the Minneapolis police, quote, murdered my brother. Uh, what happened in the video, uh, the video that was taken by a standard, uh, bystander circulating on social media shows the officer with his knee pressed into Floyd's neck while the man repeatedly says he can't breathe. At one point, he started crying for his mother, saying everything hurts. The two officers featured prominently on the video um, stands between him and the bystanders. He's talking just fine, one officer says off camera. He ain't fine, the person replies, before calling the officer a bum and saying he's enjoying what's happening. So what we know about George Floyd is that he is a Houston transplant, so he's a local boy, respectfully, uh, who moved to Minneapolis. Um, the Houston Chronicle reported that there was a vigil on Tuesday night. Uh, there are some other quotes here. We're going to post a link for it in the show notes, but I really want to just dive right in and, and get uh, Quentin and, and Trent's your perspective on it. Um, I'll turn it over to you, Trent. Tell me, tell me how you react to this situation. Well, uh, first of all, Sal and uh, Quint, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, obviously, it was a murder. Um, I don't have any ifs, ands, or qualms about that. That was that was a negligent homicide, which is how I think will be charged. And I think the other three officers involved, because it's not just the other one we see talking on the camera. There's two others holding them down, and I think they're going to be somewhere in involuntary man, man, a manslaughter charge, some something uh, to that to that effect. Um, but you talked about the new normal, and I don't know that this is the new normal. Um, I think that's a bad way to phrase one, and it's not just one. There's been others in Minneapolis. I think Philando Castillo that happened a couple of years ago, that was obviously an officer that made a mistake. You could tell right after, you know, she starts shooting that video that he didn't mean to do that. It was a reaction. Um, but it's not like it's normal. Um, it's not normal for white cops to kill black people as much as we 
perceived through the media that that's the case. It's actually many more, um, not many more, but there's more black assailants killing white cops than there are white cops killing black people. And in general and vice versa, there's more blacks that have killed whites when you take it on an average per population basis. So before we begin to um, classify all police and all uh, entire race of people as being racist, while this I believe was a racist situation because if that had been, you know, couldn't we talked about, if that had been a white female on the ground, that wouldn't happen. If that happened outside Morton Steakhouse, and that was a well, a, you know, well-to-do white male on the ground, that doesn't happen in that in that respect. You know, it has to do with socioeconomics. But I could, you can tell by the way that 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 transpires that the reason he leaves his knee on his on his throat for so long is because there's other black people that are protesting, and out of out of his own protests, I'm talking about. Officer Derek, who had his knee on the on um, on Mr. Floyd's neck, it was his own protest back to show that he was more powerful, almost like the SS and the Gestapo, to show that I am in control, you are not in control. Um, that was kind of my take on it. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, so, what we talked about last night, you had a very insightful take on why this is. Um, why this is a uh, a racially inspired, not really racially inspired, but racially instigated incident, right? How, how this is this has everything to do with race, and uh, I, I wanted to get your take on that because you know I, I come from the law enforcement background, and first off, I want to say that at, at, that is at least criminally negligent homicide. You never, uh, you know, you're you're trained basically not to put somebody in the hog tie position face down with their hands behind their back and leave them anywhere for any period of time because they might stop breathing just being in that position alone. He had his knee on the side of his neck that can restrict blood flow to the brain. It, it, it can do a lot of things to change your blood pressure and it can alter the way you're, you're breathing, obviously. And, um, you know, that, that just flies in the face of everything you're trained to do and, and how you're supposed to respond. If somebody says, hey, I'm not breathing, I'm not breathing, there's nothing wrong with bringing that man to his knees and, and continuing to restrain him while he's on his knees so he can, he can breathe. You know, it was, he died in their custody and they're responsible. And the people who uh, stood around and watched that are, are accomplices to that, for sure. Um, but we, you, we talked about this last night briefly and the, the issues that ha- occur in black neighborhoods uh, that, that don't occur elsewhere and, and how, from my experience in law enforcement, and this is a real tragedy, one of the leading causes of death for young black men are young black men and the issues they have in their neighborhoods uh, and, and, you know, the effects that have on society, that has on society. And I just want to get your take on why you believe this is definitely a, a racial issue the death of George Floyd or why he died because of his race? Unfortunately, and it's not something that a lot of African-Americans are comfortable talking about. Um, You're 11 times more likely to have violence from someone that looks like myself uh, uh, than someone who does not look like me. Um, 
in America. And that's just the plain and simple fact of the situation. Um, and so that's why police react more aggressively because they're more likely to be killed by a black man. They're more likely to face resistance and, and um, uh, face hostility from, from African-Americans. Now, I will say, having been involved in myself, there's a different or a, a or Asian person is treated a lot of times than from a black than a black person. I, I've experienced that myself, so I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. However, the fears that some law enforcement have, and other people just in general, let's just be honest. If you go to Fifth Ward, Houston, you are not comfortable, for the most part. I mean, I just I. People won't, don't want to admit that, but you go to Edgar's home, you go to South Central Los Angeles. You know, I grew up near Compton. Um, I, I've been to Crenshaw and Lamert, Lamert Park. People aren't as comfortable there. There is a level of violence that is there that is not uh, commiserate with people in Porter, Texas, or people in uh, Poteet, Texas, or certain part, Warren, Ohio. Uh, th there are certain parts where there's a large congregation of people that look like me that are more violent. And we first, we first of all have to recognize that you can't diagnose, Bakari Seller said, said it earlier, you can't diagnose something if you don't call the cancer the cancer. And while the cancer is racism, there is also a reason for that racism. It does come from somewhere. So both things have to be addressed. So Olden Lloyd's death was definitely murder, it was definitely tragic, but to respond with it by burning down the city, while I expected that to happen and somewhat justifiable in some way, it's not, it, it, it goes back to a stereotype is exactly what we expected. So if you know that, uh, I'll put a perfect example, the, the white kid, who goes to school in a black trench coat every day is looked at differently than all the rest of the kids. <laughs> he might not even be able to go to school with his black trench coat it's on. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So essentially my skin color, and a lot of people don't want to admit it, is a black trench coat to a lot of people every day because of what we see and what is perceived um, on, on, on television. And when you look at a lot of the, the stars of hip hop or the black community, when I'm talking about a young Jeezy or a, or a slim thug, it's, there's a huge contrast between that person and Luke Bryan or Dirks Bentley. Now they can both be holding a gun, but there's a huge difference in the way that they perceive themselves or, or, or Rick Ross. And, and that is what is projected onto people as drug dealers, as promoting violence, promoting guns. And it's evident in the communities that, that, that we represent. So I imagine you face a lot of criticism, much like Candace Owens, who is also an African-American who speaks out against the uh, institutionalized um, leftist propaganda that essentially keeps, quote unquote, black people in chains, right? So the narrative is that this is what's expected of black people, right? So just like you said, you predicted that there was going to be looting and riots in the street. Candace Owens says this is exactly what the media wants from the black community. Instead of sitting down and talking about the problem, instead of 
not having an emotional reaction, which obviously this, this is going to emit some emotional reaction, but coming at this from a point of view of logic and reason and say, look, first and foremost, those four officers have been removed from duty. That's not good enough. And we can all agree on that, whether you're black, white, or Asian, whatever, we can all agree that looking at this almost 10 minute video uh, of someone putting their knee in someone's neck and the man literally dying on screen, we can all agree that having those four officers removed was the right thing to do. The next thing is for justice to be served, but the ultimate outcome is whether or not they get charged, whether or not they are freed or put back on duty. The narrative is going to be that whatever happens next, the black community, you need to be ready to riot. And they've already started doing that. So how do you as, as an African-American man who is, you know, for, for our, our viewers that, or excuse me, our, our listeners, you're very well-dressed, very well-kept, very well-mannered and very well-spoken uh, African-American. How do you combat the stereotypical narrative? Like it's already going to happen. You're going to be the quote unquote house N word who's speaking out against black community and saying, well, you can't blame it on the culture. You can't blame it on rap music. You know, this is, they just keep holding us down, right? How do you address the black community? That's always going back to this back and forth with, with the narrative of, well, they're just trying to hold me down. White cops hate black people. Um, it's not our fault. How, how do you address that? How do you address that mentality? Well, well, let me let me go go back a little bit, Sal, because I don't agree with Candace Owens. Okay. okay, I don't go that that far. She when you when you begin to compartmentalize it into political, you know, this is, you know, this is conservative, this is liberal, this is leftist, this is right. That's where I think you really start to lose. I agree. People. I, I um, agree. And if you if you think about it from this point of view, Malcolm X and Huey Newton were on the the left end of the spectrum back in the day. They really weren't. They were actually pretty conservative men in their own lives, right? But they would be considered left of center in politics for sure. And at no point in time, if Malcolm X or Huey Newton walked up to me in, in public, would I ever be nervous? I, I would I would never I, I would never look at them differently or uh, hear them speak and think, oh, this is a dangerous man because they were they were actually traditional revolutionaries, whether they're left or right or however you view them. They were traditional revolutionaries and they had a political movement behind them, whether you agreed with it or not. They knew what civil disobedience looked like and how it ought to function in order to actually make change. Exactly. You're 100 percent spot on. I. It, so I'm conservative physical on physical policy, you know, I'm in business, I believe in low taxes. I've owned a couple of businesses. Um, you know, I believe the less intervention and regulation, typically the better, not in all cases, but especially environmentally. I'm from California, so I'm a social liberal, you know, I'm pro-gay marriage, pro-interracial marriage. I'm, I'm married to a, a half white, half uh, Hispanic woman. Uh, depending on how, you know, uh, how you look at her. Um, so it's, you know, I, I've grown up with so many different types of people in my life. I've lived in every major city in Texas and grew up in Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm a, an anomaly. But back to what you're, what you're saying with how this is framed, Candace likes to, and others like Larry Elder, like to frame things in, well, this is what the media wants. And this, the media is just simply reporting what, to me, what you saw. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, that, 
you saw a murder. Okay. And it's okay. It's, you should be upset about that. But, but now it's going to begin to be framed by the other side, especially the alt-right are going to say, look at these, and I'm just going to use some colorful language. Look at these jungle monkeys burning down their, burning down their ghettos. You see, that's what we expect from them. That's why they get killed. That is what people are going to say, like it or not. That is going to be what the narrative that partially from some sides of the country come out of this. And that's what I'm getting at. That that's the that's the yeah. narration. That's the narrative that always comes about, right? So we're expecting at this point within the next week, you can probably rightly predict that this is the flashpoint that the media has either been waiting for, you know, with bated breath, whether it's COVID-19 related or race related, the the left media has been waiting for some sort of flashpoint, something to either uh, use against Trump, because you're already seeing that. You're already seeing uh, the the fake pictures. I think you shared it as well on, on your social media, the fake pictures that are saying that this police officer is the same gentleman wearing a make whites a, a great again hat. He's also the same guy who showed up to Trump rallies. So it's already being spun as though this particular police officer was some sort of white nationalist Trump supporter and everybody's getting lumped in. So is this the flashpoint that we've actually, been waiting for, for Rodney King 2.0? I think you actually debunked that, that right, Trent? The, the, yeah, the, right, many people have already. It's already been debunked. Yeah, yeah, I did. Because yeah, I think fake news on the other side is bad. But, here's, but, but before you say the left media, Sal, CNN and MSNBC, MSNBC didn't run that. So we have no, a, that's true. a way of, of lumping in anything that is left as, you know, look at the media and what the media said. The media for the most part, is extremely accurate. And you can debate that. We can, there's a lot of different things, but they, they're journalists. I know people at Eternal Broadcasting, which is, which is CNN, uh, people at CNBC, they try to be as accurate as possible. However, we do live in a different, um, uh, we live in a different area when, when Twitter and being the fastest to the story uh, like the like the young kid, the young white kid with the Indian guy on uh, in um, uh, the Native American, I should say in D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How that got blown out of proportion because you try to be the first to every story and you don't take the time and do the journalistic ethics that you should do, and that does happen. I but agree with that. For the most part, the media is fairly accurate. So I don't. I'm going to push back on you saying that this is the left media trying to portray this. This did happen, okay, and the media reported it and. And people take, I think, 90% agree that this is murder. The only reason that they're not in jail right now is because they're cops and they're given a little bit of the benefit of, of the doubt. And you have a process to, of course, go through the, the evidence. And I think every cop in every situation should be granted that just because of what they deal with on, a, on an everyday basis, even though I think we know what the foregone conclusion of this is going to be and you don't don't want to let mob justice set a precedent legalistically that exactly that will actually result in young black men being killed going back to that way of doing things will absolutely result in lynchings and it will be legalized there will be precedent for it at that point exactly the central park five are are a result of mob justice 
So, you know, on either side, whether you think you know everything about the case or not, you always should have should throw caution to the wind. But I'm going to come back to the point which you were trying to get to, Sal. We have to, as as a race, and I don't always, and I'll just be honest, I don't always put myself as a, as a black male because I'm, I'm race neutral. Um, though I obviously know where my family came from, and my, my grandfather was the first black player to play for the Philadelphia Eagles in 1952 with Norm Van Brocklin and Chuck McNarrick. The things that he went through uh, to play are, are unbelievable today. Um, so it's not that I don't have a reverence of where I came from, but if we're ever going to move past race, we have to stop talking about race all the time in every damn thing that we do. Yep. Right. And so while I, I think race is used on both sides as a flashpoint, I think Kamala Harris is, I know we're going a little off track. Kamala Harris could be the DNC nominee had she not attacked Vice President Biden as being racist or racial or his, you know, his, his what he said in the 70s. I mean, we get, we've gotten to the point of ridiculousness, which is why some people and so many of my friends are like, well, now everything's racist, so I'll just say what I want and have no disregard for anyone. And I think that's what's happened. What the Trump movement is, is people saying, I'm tired of the political correctness. I just wanna, I wanna say what I want. I wanna say what I feel no matter who it offends. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom design websites for small to medium sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash new normal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. It looks as though the establishment media has gotten a hold of our broadcast. And <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cannon, unfortunately, has dropped off our off of our podcast call. So we'll we'll just continue the conversation. You were you were saying about his perspective is is very unique in in uh, just kind of the whole narrative of the of the whole situation. Being an African American man with those opinions is not a popular thing. Well, I, you know, I, I guess it depends. It depends on who you ask. Right. Because I, I think that there are plenty of people uh, from Trent's background that feel the same way he does. It's right. just, um, well, those opinions are, are always opinion or if it, it's just not sensational. Right. I don't know if it, he, he's not outraged, you know, he's not outraged. He, he looks at things. I mean, I think he is outraged. I mean, this is an outrageous event. This definitely, this definitely offended me as a cop seeing this. I would never do this to somebody. Um, but to be able to take a step back and to breathe and to logically, um, you know, deduce what occurred and to interpret the situation and come at it from a, an angle not yet seen that isn't sensational. There's nothing that's going to get ratings about that. There's no yeah. reason to have someone like that on your program because frankly, it makes for, it's good TV. It's, it's good TV. It's a good conversation, but it's boring TV, right? right. It's, he's, 
not burning down a store. That's what and, I was. That's what not, I was implying with with what not, the media not cussing is. you out. Yeah, he's not. He's not burning down a store. He's not cussing you out. From that perspective, I do agree with you. And and I don't know if it's because of of bias the media has, or if it's just because you know blood sells. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. You know? And so there's there is an incentive to it's not the same reason silence people. It's the same reason you see weathermen get very disappointed the further off track from their city a hurricane goes, right? Less less airtime for the weatherman. And in this instance, you know, the the journalist who is on the ground covering this story. He's probably going to see if he can join back in again. I just talked to him. Great. So, I mean, the, the journalist who gets gets the story, who's who's on the ground interviewing people, he doesn't want to interview someone like Trent or someone like you and I who are trying to come at the no, yeah. logical point of view. They want the... The, the ghettoist person, yeah, they want the ghettoist person with the with the worst vocabulary to make a cartoon of their race, to make a cartoon of the of the whole situation, arms flailing, emotion, all of that is what they want to see. It's very expletive, right? It 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 it, it, it exploits that person in the situation in, yes. in kind of the worst way because there's no conversation you can take away from that. No, one hundred percent agree. And my heart goes out to that person who is that incensed by the situation. There are people, there are people all over the country and all over the world from different backgrounds who are constantly oppressed, belittled, uh, you know, and and just derided and used. Yeah. And, and, and so when something like this happens, there's a tendency for plenty of people to just become emotional. And I get that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the unfortunate part of this whole situation as no matter what the outcome is, whether or not these police officers are held accountable or not, I really think we're going to see the same reaction from the emotional side of situations. And we're already seeing it with the looting, with the rioting. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I, I, uh, I wanted to get him to in his wrap up just talk about how we got here and how this is eerily similar to you know the early LA riots and where does he think where do we go from here yeah i th- i think if you're i don't know if you follow history long enough you're going to see the pattern emerge of of what happens next and and what's happened next is what's happening now right so we have the situation where the media is reporting the emotional outrage of the situation. And that's all that's going to sell right now. You're not going to get a Trent in front of a TV camera that is selling a good story, that is selling the logic and the rationale behind it. And we just got him back on the, on the, on the call. So yeah, it's, we're just, just gonna it's not sensational. Him. It's not good for ratings. So Trent, what we were talking about is basically that Opinions like yours, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily because they want to silence you because you're not left, right, or something like that. The left media has an agenda to to promote this this talking point, right? I, I think it's simply that you know people are sought out in interviews who are animated and highly emotional, uh, and they're caught up in the moment because it's sensational, and if it bleeds, it leads, and it's good for ratings, and and things kind of just get drowned that way not not because necessarily there's there's any sort of implicit or explicit bias but because 
news is sensational and the most sensational news is going to get the best ratings. What is your take on that? I think you're, 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 you're right. Um, and it's, it's our fault. You know, my social media is, is, a, is a great example. I can put the most benign stuff and I've been doing this and people haven't done. So I put uh, on my Facebook, um, I put something I was actually describing um, a narcissist and how they're so self-grandiose. I didn't mention a name, but there was a close to a thousand comments of people, various people talking about, oh, Trump this and oh, Trump that. Well, I was actually had just gotten done watching the David Koresh film um, on Netflix. And I was actually describing him in cult-like, what people in cult-like, um, uh, uh, cult-like, um, I can't think of the word thinking, but that's exactly what they that what they do is those cult like behaviors, and I was listing them, and people began to identify that as being you know a Trumper or or, or I was like I was talking about Trump and I and I wasn't, so we are so attuned to jump on the fresh meat instead of stepping back and looking at it. I think what I'm saying could be played on mainstream media, but I would be called an Uncle Tom or a racist or something like that for pointing out simple FBI facts that yep. black people commit more crime. Mm. It's a hard thing to talk about. Like, but you can't say it because then you'd be racist. I, I could say it because, you know, I, I know I, I've lived around there. I, I know that, you know, I've, I've been there. But it's a hard thing for people to justify it's, because they come up with all these reasons of slavery and the civil rights, and we've been oppressed for the last 197 years. And I'm like... It's easier to fit really inside of your tribe and stay inside of your tribe than to have a good conversation. It's easier to, to just be relegated to the tribalism mentality and say, I'm on the left, I'm on the right, I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal right? It's just so much easier to fall in line than to have a conversation like we're having, where we can look at the right. facts, look at the situation. And, and I'm of the, I'm, I'm in the camp that when all, when, when these situations happen, I'm in the camp that always says, let's wait for the facts. Let's see the other video angles. Let's make sure everything's on the up and up. I want to make sure everything is out there because I, I'll be the first to put my foot in my mouth if I just come out and say, this is all wrong. This is the cops being, you know, white cops being white cops, you know, hunting down black people. And I see that and I've seen so many friends recently eat crow with, with the whole Ahmad situation where we get more information a week or two later. You know, I run with such and such. And now all of a sudden, well, maybe he wasn't, the best outstanding citizen and know these two individuals should not have taken things into their own hands. But those are the conversations that aren't, that aren't happening. And, and I think they happen in private. They certainly don't happen in public, but Quentin, you brought up the fact that, you know, is this, is this a Rodney King situation and, and getting Trent's yeah. uh, perspective on that? So I want to, I want to allow you to be able to wrap this up, Trent. And so we've seen something we talked about last night on the phone that, you know, we're, we're seeing history almost kind of repeat itself. It's just different situations, but this is very eerily similar to the LA riots in the early nineties in California. And you had a very unique take on Arbery. I, I want to get your opinion on what happened there. How did we get here to the situation with George Floyd and how do you see this playing out? 
No, this is not Rodney King to answer your first question because the King, the King situation, I lived in Los Angeles at the time, though I was like 10 years old. You had ramp the rampart scandal. You had yeah. you had cops planting evidence and drugs on black people. And there were no cell phones and they were getting beat regularly. There's a reason why Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and NWA rose to the level of prominence that they did by saying the police is because at the time in South Central LA, that was somewhat, that was a lot of justified. So, and it's not like this is coming out of nowhere. This anger comes out of nowhere. It's not that blacks have not been oppressed as in the last 30 years, because they, they have been. Where I think, you know, what happened in the Aubrey situation is, you know, we took 30 seconds of video and we jumped to a conclusion, <laughs> you know, but, you know, if I saw a dude and this has happened to me, if I saw a guy run out of my neighbor's house at full speed, like he didn't jog away. He looked like Deshaun Jackson running from the Giants. I mean, he looked like Michael Vick headed towards the end zone, like when he runs away from that house. And there, and there's more video than we've seen. I'm getting in the car and possibly following this individual where I know there's been activity. And so then when we find out that, that the own police force, and if you have a neighborhood watch, a retired police officer is your best friend. My neighbor is a, is a FBI agent. I love having him around, right? So. There, we shouldn't be, the first, our, our first reaction is to, well, it's the police force. But as soon as shit goes wrong, who's the first people you call? The police force. So before we, we jumped on the McMichaels, okay? And granted, I'll give you, a, it's tragic that Ahmaud Aubrey lost his life. It really is. But when you look at the totality of the individual, we got a two-time felon, and then we have a 30-year cop. I think we should give the cop a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Mm. I, know we saw, I know we saw what we saw, but clearly in the, at the end of that video, Aubrey could, could have run away left or right, and he turns towards the guy with the shotgun and not away. And that was the very first thing I looked at, and I said, now, I know I've been down a lot. I've, I used to go into houses all the time as a kid. And I still do, you know, go look because we're looking at houses right now. And I could not imagine running at someone with a shotgun. But then when we saw all those other videos, especially the one with him outside, supposedly shoplifting with those kids in the Walmart, but then the one where he gets out of the car and he's in the park by himself and his hostility. I got to we got to take a pause. I need to see more. I need to see more. Right. When you said there. Yeah. So what do you, what do you see coming out of this situation? The, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, where do we go from here? And, and how did these vi- events that kind of um, piggyback off one another escalate a situation that, that might've already be, been under some tension just because of the rhetoric of the past, you know, four to 10 years. It's hard to predict. I'd say this, we're not as racist as we were. I mean, you know, 
30, 40 years ago, I, I've, I've experienced very little racism in my life. I just, I just have, okay? Um, it's happened, but it happens to everybody. I mean, it happens to short people, <laughs> happens to Asians, Muslims. Muslims used to have it really bad. I've been very, very blessed, okay? I live a mile and a half from the border of Mexico. The things that have been said about Hispanics and Mexicans in the last four or five years has been downright ridiculous in some, I mean, you literally want to build, nobody's talking about the wall anymore. Strange. <laughs> we forgot all about that. Where we go from here, this is partially because we ain't had nothing else to talk about in the last three or four months other than a flashpoint. We needed something else to talk about other than COVID. I, I think this dies down relatively quickly. And I know that seems weird to think about right now. I think they're charged and I think they go to jail. And I think this is just eventually becomes another thing. I think COVID will again take over the, 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 the narrative. But I think while this is a tragic situation, this is a small situation in a much larger issue of, of in America of inequality a social economic inequality. And you can see that in the COVID deaths. There's no reason why nearly 50% of the deaths of COVID should be black people when we're only like 13 or 14% of the population. You know what I mean? And that's a social economic thing that we're, we're, we're not comfortable talking about. And until the socioeconomics and there's money cures all, it really does. And until the socioeconomic is balanced out, you're always going to have these fights between white and black, low class and middle class, upper class. So you think this is just basically an extension of uh, class warfare and, and, and socioeconomic injustice? Oh, 100. 100 there, there are white people. There might be more white people out there marching with those people in Milwaukee. It and, looks and Los like it. Yeah, it actually does. This, this has, while yes, it, it does have to do with the color of the skin. People are, are, are Jeff Bezos. I know I'm going off topic here and I like Amazon, but Jeff Bezos has made like a, a like I can't remember the figure, but I'll just put it out there. Like $50 billion during the course of this pandemic. <laughs> And and forty percent of the nation is unemployed. I mean, really, like, either unemployed or underemployed. No, it's a serious problem, and we've talked about this on this program. That that is going to end up being uh, big tech and big yeah. box have consolidated a old galopoly, and yeah. and at the at the expense of of mom and pop market share, and it is going to cause huge, huge class warfare struggles and socioeconomic difficulties for the majority of the nation eventually. And I'll end, it, I'll end it with this, Alan Quinn. I'll end it with this. Hertz, great corporation, great corporation, goes under, is going bankrupt. The executives of Hertz got $9 million in payouts during a bankruptcy. That's I mean... Let's be, let's be real. That is what we're really dealing with. We're not dealing, we're dealing with obviously the black and the white, but when it comes down to it, we all in the same boat. I agree. Now some of us, I take that back. We may not all be in the same boat. We're in the same body of water because some of us are swimming. Some of us are holding on to a life raft and some of us are in a big ass yacht going right on by. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. My man.
Trent, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a hard stop right now. We'll continue the conversation, but Trent, we would love to, to have you back on the program. Thank you so much for joining us Absolutely. and we will, uh, we'll follow up with you. Excellent. Gentlemen, you be well, be safe. We're going America's great. It always was great. It's still going to be great. It's going to get better. Take care. Thank you, Trent. Thanks, man. Definitely a good guest to to bring back on the show. He's uh he's got a lot of insightful information and just just a level oh, head. Trent's and a I, good guy. And I think that's yeah. what's missing from a lot of this conversation is oh, the dogs are barking. I think that'll have uh, <laughs> a a good just rational point of view if if everybody can just take that step back. And I was actually interested uh, or, or kind of taken aback, not not by like a shocking revelation but the fact that he said that he thinks this might actually just fade away that this might just die down i want to agree with him i I actually do because we're gonna get we know that the second wave is coming and you and i have been talking about what's six months what's two years what's three years look like Mm -hmm. well places like texas where the virus is accelerating and not receding at all we're not even gonna get hit with a second wave we're gonna have like a tsunami that piles up by by the time fall rolls around and we're not the only state that's that's you know in this disturbing trend um so you know that that's going to be a problem and whether whether you think oh you know it's not lethal or it's really lethal first off it it depends on the strain right i I will admit that it depends on the strain you get some strains are very benign some strains are really bad we have a, a, a kind of aggressive one here um it well and that's not that's not necessarily true everywhere because the state's so big Right. But like that is coming, you know, that is coming and it, whether or not everyone dies. Okay. Cause that's not going to happen. It, it, everyone being sick is a problem and that's a productivity issue. That's an economic disaster. Everyone being sick is a problem. Well then even today, this is an article that just came out on the blaze that says Fauci changes tune now says second COVID-19 wave may never happen. And wa- mask wearing is symbolic. Dr. Anthony Fauci now says that the second wave of COVID-19 may not even happen and that wearing a mask is largely symbolic at this point. In a Wednesday interview with CNN's newsroom, Fauci says a member of the White House Corps uh, Coronavirus Task Force said that the second COVID-19 wave is not necessarily inevitable. Quote, we often talk about the possibility of a second wave or of an outbreak when we're reopening, Fauci explained. We don't have to expect as it an evident, excuse me, we don't have to expect that as an inevitability, particularly, particularly, he continued, when people start thinking about the fall, I want people to really appreciate that it could happen, but it's not inevitable. So now Fauci is changing his tune. He's, he's saying that wearing masks is largely symbolic. You know, this just goes back to That's what true. I've been saying. I, is, I, I, this is just confusing. Like every day, every confusing. week, we're getting, it's, it's going to kill you. And then the next week, it's Oh, it's no big deal. It's the flu, right? It's fancy cold. You, know? <laughs> you, you can get it by touching and, money, and then you can get it by and, being and, 24 and, feet away from yeah, someone. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. what, what do we believe? And it's that death of trust that we've been talking about. So, so that may be why, and, and to touch on this for, for a second, you know, the reason why I'm, I, I, I really hope he's right, the reason I don't think he is right is just simply because, like, we have blood serology from from test or to test now, right? We we can take people's blood and test for virus as well. During the Spanish flu, they just did clinical diagnosis, and so pretty much like everyone had the Spanish flu, they were like, "Oh, you have the sniffles. It must be this new Spain flu." Um, and so, you know, in the first wave, 
people think that this must have been a really bad virus. The first wave, it killed hundreds of people. So I'll say that again, hundreds, just hundreds of people. It didn't kill that many people. And then it came back in the fall and was just awful. And we've already got 100,000 deaths and we have confirmed cases, which not everybody who died of the Spanish flu back in the day actually probably had the Spanish flu in the first wave. They probably had like the flu or maybe a cold or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe they were just ill. So that's why I'm kind of hesitant. I, I think it could be kind of ugly. I really hope that that's true. And I hope he's backpedaling because he knows something and knows it's a little more mild than, than he's letting on. I, I really do. Cause I, I'd like to get back to my life. Um, oh, I'd like sure. to go back to the old normal, uh, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and so, so I'd like to go back to the old normal and um, you know, yeah, we'll, so have a, we'll have a new intro for the show. <laughs> the old, back to the old normal. Back That'd to be the awesome. Old normal. Um, so, you know, I hope that's true. And I think, I think that Trent is probably in my camp with the virus and look, if there's justice for this guy and there is, there is a, a trial and if people are found guilty now, people are not found guilty. In this. Oh, yeah. And I think the evidence is overwhelming, but if they are not found guilty, uh, and we have a Rodney King situation where you have an acquittal, Oh man, man, will it get ugly? And it won't just be, there will be no way to make that just about race at that point it's going to be an overall conversation about the abuse of police powers i really think because i really think looking at that video no matter who was there on the ground dying people would be pissed right now because of all of the police authority that have been used and abused lately now the fact that it's a a black man obviously makes the situation a lot more um, on edge and, and, and a lot more, the, the injustice are definitely like more glaring in your face. Right. And it, it's definitely easier to sensationalize that. But I think if people would be pissed no matter what, I think the conversation is going to be sure. It's going to be one about racial injustice if they're acquitted, but there is going to be a huge conversation about the abuse of police powers. Because look that what they did to that guy flies in the face of everything I was trained to do. You do not do that. Okay, they could have. They, there was four guys there. They could have maintained control and custody of that guy by putting him on his knees, giving him a breath. breath you know, I, I just think that that was an act of defiance. You know, in some way. And and I, you know, new evidence might come to light. I don't know, but but as it looks right now in that video, it, it's very bad. It's I don't know bad. what new evidence could could. I don't either. Sway no idea. my my opinion of this at this point because it's not like it's a dozen different clips from different angles showing, you know, a 10 minute uh, edited clip of, of you have a good view right there of him on the ground with that. Right. The whole time. Yeah. The the first thing that came to mind is, and and I'd love your perspective on it, having a law enforcement background. I'm of the opinion that if I was in that situation, I would like to think of myself as someone who would have just taken matters into my own hands and probably gotten injured in in the same vein, uh, potentially. But I want to say that I would have thrown myself at that police officer. Now, there's a there's a point in the video where someone comes up to the police officer, and his immediate reaction is to reach for his mace. He starts shaking it up. The Asian, I think his name was Tao, was yeah. you know, get back, get back, and yelling at him. I don't know why, and and maybe this is just the fear that's that's inside of people when they see a police officer. I know I kind of clinch up when when there's police around. I got pulled over um, just the other no, I day. I mean, even as an ex-cop, I don't like it. Exactly, and and just like what what was stopping people? Again, I would love to think of myself in that situation, seeing this happening for five, seven, eight minutes, and then just saying, you know what, this is enough. 
and just tackling that police officer and taking matters into your own hands and saying, this isn't right. We need to stop this from happening. And at least potentially George Floyd would have had a couple moments of fresh air before either they did it again to him or, or they changed their tactic. But I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But my, my, the biggest problem with that and, uh, you know, uh, civil disobedience on that level is that most people wouldn't be like you and I, and they just got the cop to get him up off the ground and like, give the guy a break. They would have like engaged the cops physically and tried to actually free George. Right. Right. Um, and, which would have created more of a problem, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm coming he from might the ended pers- up shot from that. You know, right. Or something like that. I'm just coming from the perspective of the man was already detained. He's on the ground. Someone now the conversation is shifting from what the police officers did to what everyone else around didn't do. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like point the finger at these individuals, but at the same time, I'm like, why wouldn't someone just do something like, okay, I'm going to get maced. I'm probably going to get beat myself, but we need to get this police officer off of this guy. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and like, it's like that video we watched um, where the, the two guys in their bay are fighting and then they're in the army and they're, they're, they're fighting and the other dude grabs the other guy's junk because he's losing, right? And then everybody's like, hey, dude, stop grabbing his junk. Stop grabbing his junk. Well, like, when I, when I was growing up, like, if somebody fought cheap like that, you would, you would break the fight up at some point. You would have right. intervened, right? But there's some, sort of, there's some sort of propensity now in society when you see an injustice or when you see something bad. I don't actually have any moral obligation to prevent this injustice or this violence or this disturbing act. I'll just sit here and witness it really well for you and I'll film it. But I, I won't. And it, maybe it's a selfishness. Maybe it's, I don't want to actually put myself out. I'll sit here and film for you, but I don't want to put myself out. I don't want to endanger what I got going on. Exactly. Even though we're all basically in the same body of water, right? Like everyone's lives actually pretty much suck in this country. And most people have absolutely nothing to lose, but they're just like, no, nah, I'll just film it. I'm, I have no moral obligation to stop this injustice. I'll just record it so yeah. that, later justice can be done or I can be YouTube or world star famous or something like that. Right. And, and that, that's, that's a terrible and unfortunate side effect of where we are, not necessarily because of social media, but just as a result of this instant gratification. Yeah. This instant gratification of Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and live streaming. Right. So if I'm not mistaken, that video was live streamed and then repeated, you know, on different networks and, and picked up, but the fact that this is happening live and, and people are able to record it and still no one, I mean, we, we had the gentleman who was, just, you know, you're a bum. What are you doing? You're enjoying this. You're a bum. You're a bum. You're and and one, one person got the idea to just get close to the police officer, but then backed away as, as soon as he pulled the mace out. Yeah. It's just, oh, man, I don't, I'm just very disappointed. Like, I understand that taking on the, like, I am not in any way encouraging people to take on the police. I, I don't want to make, uh, that's not what this, this is about, what I'm saying. Okay. What I'm saying is generally speaking, that nobody stands up and does anything when they see an injustice and they just very rarely put themselves out for their fellow man. And our entire society was basically predicated on taking a risk and standing up to oppression or authority for your fellow man. Um, you know, if, if people go back and look, you know, like, I'm sorry, uh, you know, 
uh, Suge Knight or, you know, Snoop Dogg or whatever, they're not revolutionary. He's not a revolutionary. Neither one of those guys are revolutionary. They're not good role models. But if you want to go talk about a lot of people are like, hey, uh, white people get away with taking guns into capitals. And, you know, that's kind of true. But if you want to see somebody who actually did stand up authority, who actually um, was a person of color and, and stood up for their people and for the country, and, and put their neck out. I, I suggest people go and look into who Huey Newton is. And he did actually take guns into a Capitol building. Um, I am not in any way encouraging people to do that. What I'm saying is we're a nation predicated on people who you can just do anything. That person could have just, I don't know, instead of being, you know, combative verbally, it could have just been like, hey, please stop doing this. You're going to kill him. And they did it. And they did in a few incidences Instances in that video say that. But I, I don't know what could have been done in that situation. But at some point, we do have to stand up for one another. And we do have to face risk or uncertainty, right? Like that. that right. Because that's the, human nature. The, we should be standing that, that up is. as a weaker person. I mean, he, he was bound up. He was on the ground crying for his mother at one point. And I mean, all of the cliche words that you can think of, right? So gut-wrenching and, and just all of that. When you're watching this, it just makes no sense to me. And, and you want to jump through the screen and just jump and, and do something. But it, it's, it's a real shame that we got to that point where either we're afraid too much for, for our own well-being that we wouldn't help someone else. I mean, we see so many first responders who go out there and do this on a daily basis, put their lives on the line, right? So there's something to be said about the quote-unquote good cops that are out there every single day putting their life on the line. It's a thankless job. They're, they don't get the recognition. Yeah, they don't get the job. pay. And, and it's mentally uh, just a terrible situation. You know, you come home and you wear that baggage and they do this for very little money for a thankless position and they still go out there. And yet we can't do the same thing for a fellow human being, regardless of a badge or not. No one thought to go over there and just take the situation into their own hands. Yes. If I had done it, there would have been a good chance that I would have been beat myself, handcuffed, arrested. I would like to think that it would have been justified and people would have, seen that action as as not not heroic but the right thing to do and and other police officers who are now coming out it never gets displayed like that because like i hear what you're saying and i i agree with you right and and but at the same time then george floyd wouldn't have died and you would have just been seen as a person that attacked the cops and the end result would have been that he lived and then right. you could have said oh well they were gonna kill him and then everyone would have been like no they weren't they were just you know maintaining control that's a good custody. point yeah, because that, so that would have been the 30 second clip. Yeah, yeah, you would have both, both gone to jail, and actually, we would have never even heard about this situation. Probably. Like, well, there would be, there would be, this conversation wouldn't even be happening. Which ultimately would be okay, I guess. Right? Yeah, it would be a positive thing. I mean, you would alive. just, yeah, but at that point, I guess no one, the people who were filming, probably didn't know how serious his condition or situation was or that he actually was going to die. I think they, yeah. you know, so I'm trying to play the devil's advocate here because I, I agree with most of everything, what you said, but I'm playing the devil's advocate of why that person might not have done it. And it's, you, you got to think, well, he might just be saying he can't breathe. Maybe he can breathe, but I don't like this situation because it was ugly. It was an ugly situation. Even if he could breathe, right. That wasn't cool. Um, 
and you know, I'm going to videotape this because this is police brutality. Um, and in certain cultures and in certain parts of the country and certain neighborhoods, it's always about filming police brutality because anything that you film could be construed at some point as, as police brutality. Not always, excuse me, not always, not every situation, but a lot of them. Right. And, uh, so, so there is a culture behind kind of filming, but not intervening because you got to think that person who was filming that could have been treated in a much similar fashion to George Floyd. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what would have happened if people intervened. I'm not going, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to incite or encourage people to behave in a way that's lawless, but I, I will say this, that at, at some point we do have to, unite and stand up to the things that have been oppressing us and have been leading us down the, the wrong path. So like we talked about earlier um, in the, the last couple episodes that we were at a moment where we were all really coming together and we were very much questioning the status quo and questioning business as usual and questioning our position in this body of water, right? And seeing the ships go by while we were just left to flounder. And there was a point probably in the near future where Americans were going to really come together and say, Hey, F this, F this, F this system. And just because this economic system is bad doesn't mean the United States is bad. You know, the United States is more than an economy. We're a nation that was made great by an economy. We're not a nation that makes an economy great, okay? And this economy that we're currently beholden to is not the same economy that made us great. I want to make that very clear. It's not at all. And I think we were going to come together as a country really soon and, and really question what was happening, not just economically, but legally, uh, culturally, morally. And, and that's gone. This, this pretty much this incident by inciting this incident, uh, allowing it to happen and then it being pushed into the, the, the public square, which it should be. This, this does need to be talked about. This is a very important lesson on police brutality and then control and custody and, and race relations in this country. But at the same time, it is probably going to ensure that we see no long-term changes from COVID. I, I really do believe that. I think this is going to cause a lot of division. And there are already people on the left or right who are just blindly, because you're on the other side, you're wrong, and I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say on the matter. And I, I don't see this as a point of unification. I, I see this, this as potentially, I, I guess we might be able to move out of it in some sort of unity, but I think this might have taken away our fire for unity that might be, have been smoldering and ready to really catch flame. No, I would agree. And I don't know, you, you, the conspiracy side of, of my mind goes to the, the timing of the situation, right? Like, obviously, this isn't staged. I'm not even alluding to that. But, no, but it's, it's perfect timing. Oh, it's, you, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have asked for a better timing, right? To, to turn a bad situation into uh, a, great, a, great, a great story, right? Don't let a good crisis go to waste, as we've quoted quite a few times. But, I mean, I think, I think Trent's point of view was, I don't know, uh, more optimistic than, than I would like to, like to lean on. And, and not to say that I'm a pessimist, but I, I see two things, right? The, as, as patterns emerge, they're, they're indicted and the world just sets itself on fire, or, or at least Minneapolis, and then it spreads from there. Um, what we saw with Eric Gardner, I was in New York when those protests happening. And oh, wow. my, my, uh, business partner and I were were at a conference, and we don't know what's happening. Like 
the Eric Gardner situation had just happened. We flew out to New York and we're walking around Times Square and we just start hearing chanting and a commotion. And we turn down one street heading back to our hotel. And we look to the left and we just see a barrage. Like it's, it's, it is Hollywood marching uh, banners, people clanking, people yelling. And our immediate thought was we should probably get back to the hotel room really quickly. So, I mean, we, we jetted back to, to the hotel room and we're watching Fox news on the TV as they're passing by our hotel. And it's just the most eerie, surreal situation to be in because it's like, Hey, there, there there's us, <laughs> there's our room, there's, there's our hotel room as they're walking by. It's like, Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, I think yeah, his, his, his I, point of view is a little bit more optimistic than than I give, unfortunately, humanity credit for. Because if no, I agree, I agree with you. I I hope he's right, and and like I've been really trying to do a better job of being uh, cautiously optimistic because I am a not a people have a wrong wrong idea of what pessimism is, right? But but uh, they they don't really know what that means. But yeah. like I am a philosophical I see reality. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a philosophical pessimist, okay? And it's hard for me because, look, if, if anything worse happens in this country right now, if there is another flashpoint, dude, we're talking about some serious stuff coming down the way. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that we're prepared What next? Well, there yeah, was, and, and there was look, a meme going. We have going. enemies. We have enemies in this country that live in this country amongst us. There are foreign agents all over this nation and they would love nothing more than to incite a situation like this. It would be very easy for a foreign spy to incite a situation between civilians and police and make it look very bad on purpose and get away with it without fingerprints. Now that sounds very far fetched and crazy, but it's very easily done and they can do it and then make this so much worse. Or if we have a terrorist attack now, Mm. Oh my God. Yep. No, I mean, we've, it, we've said that from episode one, right? Like this is the, and this sounds terrible. So if you're listening to this, don't take this as a call to action, but this would be the most opportune time for foreign or domestic uh, attack. And oh, oh my gosh, we're yeah, sitting enemies, ducks. Yeah. Our enemies, our enemies would love nothing more than to exploit this time. And, and, and it's just been made so much worse, you know, and it, it, it was bad before. If they had done something before, it would be really bad. If they do something now, I'm not really sure that that's recoverable. I would actually be worried about a a, a systematic society-wide collapse. Oh, for sure. So where do we go from here? What's what's the positive change that that we can that we can garner from this? What's the new normal that we can hopefully get out of this? You know, man, I I don't really know. This one's really hard for me to say. I think it was positive having Trent on to talk about his experiences and his perspectives on it. It's hard for me to see the positives in this because somebody lost their life unnecessarily, right? People didn't intervene when they could or they should have. And I played the devil's advocate on that. And I understand why they might not have. Um, But I think... Americans just aren't very willing to stand up for Americans anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. And, and, and it's a very F you pay me F you get mine, you know, uh, society at this point. And people are just really looking out for number one. And that isn't you or I, it's just that person, right? It's just, it's just the individual. 
And I think that's a very broad stroke observation and someone could definitely it's challenge general, that. It's a generality. It's, it's a huge generality because I think on an individual level, like I said, if I was in that situation, I would like to think that my my mentality, my personality would have done something, whether or not it put myself in harm's way. I would like to think that there's more people like that. I think on the general broad stroke uh, classification, then yes. Americans, well, I think there's individuals everywhere who are willing to risk their lives for fellow There's just not enough. There, yeah, exactly. There are, there are, there's a video in Minneapolis right now where two, they call themselves rednecks, are, are in militia garb uh, with their ARs outside of a locally owned uh, liquor store, I, I believe, uh, with two black men defending the liquor store from looting. And they said, hey, we were out there making sure you know, that nobody was going to get killed in this event. And then we saw them trying to loot this liquor store. And so we joined up with these two guys and we're not going to let anybody come and rob this you know, strip center. Well, and that's, and so what that's, that's, Owens was, that's what Candace Owens was talking about, right? So when, when we go to looting and we go to rioting, we hurt no one but ourselves speaking about the African-American community. And it just, I don't, I'm beside myself that that is always the visceral reaction that we, we have such a highly educated black community that has a voice and has a platform like again whether you agree or not with candace owens position politically there are people like her who are out there trying to educate the black community and say look it doesn't have to be this way we don't have to fall in line with what the democrats or the left tell us we need to do we can think for ourselves and we can be objective and we can actually come out of this without hurting ourselves even more by turning around and burning down our neighborhoods Right. No, I, I agree with most of the things she says. Uh, I'm just keeping an objective point of view. And I think there, I think there can be a Candace Owens who is both, uh, I think there could have been or is out there somewhere a, a left-leaning Candace Owens who's, who's very much like her but has leftist policies and tendencies. And then you obviously have her. And I, I think that just goes to show that anybody can be whatever position they want and still be an upstanding and respected citizen who, who presents well, no matter who you are. And so, uh, no, I don't necessarily disagree with that. And, and, and look, there is – the looting has a pattern, right? The looting and the riots have a pattern, and it always affects those communities affected by the initial phase of the event more than anyone else, right? And, and that's probably not an accident. I mean, th- there's a lot of ginned-up feelings, and there's, it's, there's, a lot of, there, there's a lot of ways to get individuals to – direct their angst and guide it where you want. So I don't think it's necessarily always an accident. Now it could just be lashing out. I don't know, but I've never been in that situation. So it's really hard for me to say, it's really hard for me to know where they're coming from and how they feel. Cause I I don't live in that community and I I don't, I, I don't experience these things on a daily basis. And it's hard for me to put myself in their shoes and really know why anyone does that or, 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 you know, conducts themselves that way. And, and I, who am I, who am I to judge, you know, but I, I would say it's probably ill-advised. It's not the way you want to go about it, but it's hard for me to understand it. Right. And it's interesting that he said, you know, as, as a well-dressed black man, you know, if, if you weren't obviously watching the video, he, he's very well put together and that's not to, you know, I don't know, use that as, as a means to, to make this point, but I have a very similar friend who is very well-educated black, who dresses well, who talks well, who, who speaks with authority. And then 
for Trent to say he's not experienced racism to the level of what the media says he should be experiencing racism, I do have a friend who has experienced racism, who, who looks and talks sure. the same way as he does. And, and you have to take a, a lot of these stories with, with a grain of salt, and, and, and they're obviously very anecdotal. But myself, who is a Hispanic immigrant veteran who carries a gun, who's been pulled over while holding a gun or, or had a gun on his person, I've yet to have, knock on wood, a negative encounter with a police officer. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Trent was talking about is if you present yourself as someone who's not looking to get into an altercation, right? I'm not one of those, I know my rights. I know my rights. You know, am I being detained? Am I being detained? I'm not one of those individuals. I put my hands on the dash. I roll down my window, turn the, turn the overhead lights on so that they can see what's happening inside the car. If you just take a step back and realize that there's another human being on, this, on the opposite side of that door, then you can come out of these situations far less impacted than what the news media would like to think is happening every single time a black person gets pulled over or minority. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've pulled over plenty of, well, I, to be real honest with you, I, I didn't do much traffic. I, I patrolled and I, I didn't do a whole lot of traffic stops, but I have pulled over plenty of uh, black people that you describe and who were in possession of firearms because they were concealed carry, you know, they, they had their CCL or the CHL at the time. I think they call it license carry or something. Now it's been a while. Yep. But uh, the, my, my reaction or response, I, when they handed me the license and CHL I said, do you have the gun in the car? And they said, yes, sir, I do. And I said, well, you were going a little fast. Just slow it down. You have a nice day. And that was it because I, you know, we had mutual respect for one another and just our, our, our engagement was positive and you could just tell they, they were, they were friendly and right. they just want to go about their, their day. You know, it's, so I, I don't know. I think it definitely, it definitely depends on the cop. Right. And it definitely depends on the person and the interaction and the dynamic of the day. It's not just about who they are. It's about what day they've had too. And, and kind of, kind of the tension in the air or whatever between the two of them. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, I, I agree with him. This isn't like 50, you know, 40 to 70 years ago, man, it was really tough to be a black person in the United States. Like that's, that's real, you know? Sure. Um, you have men like Malcolm X and Huey Newton and Martin Luther King that, that are examples of that, you know? And those three individuals are very different individuals, but you know, they all had a hard life. They, they had it tough and there was a reason they were making a stand. Um, not to take anything away from, cause I haven't lived, I haven't lived the life of, of, of people uh, of color and I don't, I don't grow up in the ghetto or anything like that. So I don't, I don't really know. And I do know that their lives are hard, but I would agree with Trent that most of it is socioeconomic and, and I have been poor and I have been in a really I, you know, when I was in college and I had serious financial trouble when I was putting myself through school and, uh, you know, when uh, I had health problems too, at the same time, um, it would have been very easy for me to spiral. Like if I, I didn't have my, at one time I didn't have my registration, it was out and I, you know, uh, my, my insurance was expired or expiring or something like that. And then I broke down and it was just like, it was this spiral of disasters in my life because I couldn't be proactive. I didn't have the money to be proactive and prevent myself from being in situations that might've been dangerous or could have, you know, affected me legally. And so 
I actually do really understand that in a way that I would not have had I not been like really poor at one time and, and not been able to pay my rent and not been able to pay my life bill. And I actually did live in the ghetto. You know, I actually did live in the ghetto in a bad neighborhood and I, and I had a car with a registration out. My driver's license was expired because I literally didn't have the money to register my car or to, to renew my driver's license. Cause I like didn't have $5 to rub together. And, and I, I, my, my alternator went out and then my, you know, catalytic converter went out and, you know, I had to handle those things. Interestingly, uh, I didn't steal anything or anything like that, but, but just a basically my, my car, my car was not in compliance. Let's just say that. And, and like, I could have, I don't know, I could have ended up in a really bad position legally and it was a comedy of errors and it was, but it was all a comedy of poverty. It was a situation that put me in this spot because I was poor and I lived in the ghetto and it was a bad situation. And even though I was an ex cop, you know, and I knew better than to let my stuff get, get out of, of, you know, um, out of order, I couldn't do anything about it because I didn't have any money and nobody would help me out financially. So, you know, there you go. I was in that same position. I could have easily ended up behind bars. I honestly just didn't ever get pulled over and I just got lucky and I, I didn't have any encounters with the cops. I, I literally lived two blocks from class and didn't drive much. And I just got lucky, but I mean, there's a lot of people who don't get lucky and weren't in my position and and do have to have interactions with the police because they're poor and out of compliance. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, the next the next couple of days and the next couple of weeks will definitely be interesting to see what happens. You know, whether or not these police officers are charged with murder, whatever they're charged with, I think that will definitely be the catalyst to either Trent's point of view that this dies out, or whether this truly does ignite some sort of big flashpoint in in. Minneapolis may be isolated, or if it does a national debate, if it does this national spark of um, just frustrated individuals who've been cooped up for the last three months. And this is just one more thing to add to their plate of, of uh, emotional um, reactions. I will be, it will be very, look, if there's a conversation on race that needs to be had, I'm all, I'm all for it. Okay. And I'm not going to poo poo it whatsoever. We are on the cusp of a conversation about equality. And I know people are like, oh, you know, you're, you're not unequal because you don't have money. That's a communist or Marxist philosophy. Okay, and I get that point of view. But when the Supreme Court rules money as free speech, you do not have the same voice as someone like Jeff Bezos. Like, get out of here with that. You do not, okay? You cannot buy the ear of a politician. You cannot start a PAC. You cannot donate. You do not have that voice. Okay, so you 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 are not equal. I don't care what people say. And we were going to have a conversation about that. If this turns into a conversation about socioeconomic inequality, then I'm all for that conversation, and I think that could be very constructive. But you won't, because you have but, but, not to call Jeff Bezos out, but I mean, you have the money of people like Jeff Bezos who don't want that conversation to happen. So unfortunately, I think this is going to just keep festering. And I think it is the undercurrent and the underlying issue of all of our woes at this point, okay? The socioeconomic inequality. And I am not a Marxist. I'm not a cultural Marxist. I'm not a communist. And I don't support those ideologies, okay? But there is a lot of truth to the fact that we are experiencing a lot of socioeconomic injustice in this country. And we were going to have that conversation. And I don't think we are anymore. If it sparks it, great. If not, 
This was a really bad thing. This was a very bad thing for George Floyd, for Minneapolis, for the black community there, for everyone involved. This was a very bad thing for the country. This is a, this is a, a, a black mark um, on the country's history if, as far as racism and everything is concerned. And and I I, uh, I I don't see I don't I don't see the positive takeaway now. If we go into the into that conversation of of socioeconomic inequality, then then maybe this turns positively. Um, I just don't see that happening, like you said, and that's a shame. That that that's the biggest shame for me, and the, the biggest takeaway is I feel like we were so close, and it's just every time we get close. Somebody's like, hey, they're getting close. Let's go ahead and screw this whole thing up. Right. Yeah, it's, it, like I said, it'll be an interesting next couple of weeks. So I think, I think we can wrap it up there and, and get people to start talking. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting uh, application, we'd love to get your thoughts on it. Leave us a review, leave a comment. If you're listening to this on Facebook, um, or, or seeing this on Facebook, we'd love to get your take on it. We'd love to get your your thoughts and opinions on on this whole situation. Um, but until this continues to play out over the next few weeks, we want you to stay safe and welcome to the new normal. <laughs> <laughs>